excited that football is starting, but because fall is here. Anyone else just love fall? All right, good. Eight of you do. Okay, so let me tell you why I love fall. Maybe I can convince you. Man, there is nothing better, at least for me, than going to the back of my closet and pulling out all my hooded sweatshirts. Putting on a hooded sweatshirt and grabbing a pumpkin spice latte. Sitting there, sipping on it, watching the Browns beat the Steelers. It's going to happen next Monday, of course, Monday Night Football. While looking outside and just seeing the beautiful, changing colors of leaves. I love everything that has to do with fall. And one of my favorite, absolute favorite things, in addition to the things that I listed, is sitting around a campfire. I love just being around a fire and just expressing my love and my care and my and stories with other people. There's something about a campfire that really just creates amazing memories. I love just to sit around with my best friend and we came over after the kids are in bed and we just sit there and we share stories. We have deep conversations about life or I like to go out with my kids and try to build a fire and then they want to keep building uh, more things on the fire and then I think we're going to have to call uh, the fire department because our fire is getting out of control but then it finally calms down and then they have s'mores and we just love, love sitting around a fire. You probably do as well. Maybe you have great memories as a child around the campfire, maybe at the campground or in your backyard with your favorite people hoping the night wouldn't end. There's something magical about being around a fire that looks something like this. If Peter were here, the Apostle Peter, he would tell you a few stories that happened to him around a campfire. Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples who left an occupation of fishing to follow Jesus, it was Peter who would tell you that probably the worst moment of his life happened around a campfire. It was a chilly Thursday evening and the whole town was buzzing about the news that a man named, man named Jesus was arrested. They took Jesus to the high priest and Peter and the other disciples are trying to figure out what's going to happen to him. And there was this courtyard in the high priest's, uh, his, his area that he would have had for people that were close to him. And Peter, he wasn't close to the high priest, and so he had to stay outside of the fence. And he's looking in, trying to see if he can get a glimpse of Jesus. There's a fire going right in the middle of that. And as he's standing there, trying to figure out what his next move is, someone recognizes him. And the woman asked Peter... You're not one of those man's disciples, are you? Now, Peter just left Jesus. In fact, he just left Jesus after he took a sword and cut off a man's ear because he promised, Jesus, I will fight to death for you. And so when he's asked this question, you're expecting him to say, absolutely, I'm one of those disciples. In fact, how can I get closer to Jesus? I'm outside of the fence. I want to get into the courtyard, get as close as I can. Yes. Jesus says, no. I am not. Denies knowing Jesus. Denies ever having a relationship with him. Denies ever being his follower. Well, after this, we read this in verse 18. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. And they stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. He finally was let in to the courtyard where this fire is, and he's around the fire, and he's cold, and so he's warming himself around the fire, and I'm wondering what Peter's thinking at this moment. I just denied one of my closest friends. I just denied the man 
who claims to be the Messiah. I just denied the man that chose me out of a life of fishing to follow him and be a, uh, a cornerstone of the church. I denied this man. It was he roaming around the fire, looking deeply into that, thinking about his thoughts, another person recognizes him. You're not one of his disciples, are you? Thankfully, Peter gets the question again because Peter denied Jesus once. He'll never deny him again, will he? He denied it, saying, no, I am not. I want you to imagine your very, very best friend who just loves you. You guys do everything together. You talk all the time. Somebody goes up to that person and says, hey, do you know this person? And that person says, no, he's not my friend. No, I don't know her. I mean, how painful that would have felt. That's exactly what Peter does here. Not once, but twice. Denies Jesus. Denies knowing him. Denies ever following him. How painful that would have been for Jesus to hear that Peter did this. Well, someone else recognizes Peter. In fact, it was a family member of the person that Peter chopped his ear off. And they say to him, I know I saw you. Didn't I see you at the Olive Grove with Jesus? I was right there. I recognized your face. And then Peter denied it for the third time. And it says, immediately the rooster crowed. Earlier in John, it says that Jesus told Peter, you will deny me. And Peter's like, I will never deny you. He goes, you will deny me, and you will hear the rooster crow. And I think when that rooster crowed, at that moment, the guilt and the shame And the betrayal that Peter knew that he caused Jesus would have overwhelmed him. He wouldn't know what to do next. Because not only does he deny Jesus once, not twice, but three times ever having a relationship with him. And when I read this story, I start thinking about Peter, and it's so easy to judge Peter. Like, if someone were to maybe come up to us and say, are you a Christ follower? Do you go to church or whatever? We would probably say, oh, yes, I am. And so we're thinking, Peter, how could you do that? But then I started to reflect upon how we live our lives, what we say, what we do. And oftentimes we may not say it that we deny Jesus, but we deny it with how we live. I know for me, I was reflecting on all the ways that I've done that. And I remember when I was 17, I became a Christian. I remember saying, Jesus, my life is yours. Everything that I do is yours. I want people to see you through my life. But there are so many times that I live in such a way that there's no way people think there is a God by the way that I act. Or I think about when I stood on stage with my wife and I looked her in the eyes, I will cherish you and honor you. I will always take care of you before I take care of myself. I have not always done that. That's denying the gift that Jesus has given me. I remember being a dad. It was the greatest moment ever when we found out we were pregnant, we were having our first son. And I was so excited because I thought to myself, I'm, I'm going to be this amazing dad that I've always wanted to be. My kids are going to know who Jesus is through me. And I can tell you, there are so many times where I will go to bed at night thinking to myself, if my kids don't believe in Jesus, it's probably because I'm not always doing a great job of the example of that. I don't deny that I'm a Christian, but I oftentimes deny it with how I live. Or I know everyone's created in God's image. I'm no better than anybody else, but how often I act that way. 
where I tell myself I will never talk badly behind someone's back and then when I'm with somebody, I can't wait to tear that person apart. How often the rooster always crows for me. How about you? You may not deny that you're a Christian. Maybe you will. But do you deny him with your life? Do you deny that there's a God by the way that you speak, by the way that you act, by the way that you treat people? There's a few ways that we can deny Jesus. For instance, it's, a lot of times it's because we're selfish. We say that we care about other people, but we usually care about people after we feel like we've been taken care of. And there's a lot of people that call themselves Christ followers, and they read the Bible, they come to church and stuff, but when you look at how they treat people, you think to yourself, you are so self-absorbed. If you're supposed to love others more than you love yourself, you are so in love with yourself that you can't ever see everybody else. And when it comes to God, yeah, you have a relationship with God and you pray, but oftentimes we're praying about our will to be done. To be done. We want God to answer our prayers, and if he doesn't, well, sorry, God. We make it about ourselves. We are selfish at heart. That denies Jesus. Or what about that we care too much about what others think of us. There are some of you in this room that would deny knowing Jesus if it meant you being excluded from a friendship group or a promotion or whatever it is that would cost you something. You would never claim the name of Jesus because you're afraid that people will think something about you and you're afraid what they will say or do to you. And oftentimes it's subtle, but are there people in your schools, are there people in your workplaces that know that you follow Jesus by the way you live? If he's the most important thing in your life and they don't know it, then you're denying him. You're denying him the opportunity to show people through you what it looks like to have a relationship with him. There's so many times we don't want to disrupt anything. We don't want to offend anybody, so we don't say it. We don't live it. We might as well just join Peter around the fire. One that's a little subtle, but I think it's important to talk about it, is I deny Jesus because I'm constantly worried about everything. I mean, over and over and over and over again in Scripture, it says, fear not, do not worry. We all know those things up here. But do our hearts know that? If you say you trust Jesus with your life, and you know you can't trust, or you can't, um, look at your future and know you can't predict that or control that when we say those things, but then if we're constantly worried all the time, you're denying the trust that Jesus deserves from you and I on a daily basis. If you are worried and anxious about everything, I can promise you, you're denying Jesus access to your will, to your life, because you think you can control it. Or maybe it's this. You deny Jesus because you gave up on him years ago. Maybe you've lived a certain way and you're here today and you think to yourself, even if I could come back to God the way that I've lived, there's no way God would want me. I haven't read the Bible. I haven't prayed. The way I've treated people, there is no way that God would want me, even if I wanted to come back to him. All of us find ourselves denying Jesus with our lives. And so often we think to ourselves, well, if we deny Jesus, because of the guilt, because of the shame, there's no way that he will want me. 
I'll have to work for it. Or I'll just continue to do what I've always known to do because that's how God looks at me now. But what if I told you that you're wrong? What if I told you that kind of thought about God, that he doesn't want us, even when we deny him, is not a biblical view of Jesus? Because in a way that I want you to remember this morning, though we deny Jesus, Jesus will always pursue us. Though we put our hand up like this to Jesus, he will continue over and over and over again to pursue you. The way that you've acted, the way that you've lived, the way that you've spoken, the way that you've misrepresented Jesus, you may think to yourself, I am guilty of that. And the shame that comes over you, he would want nothing to do with me. I've denied him, but Jesus will never stop pursuing you. If you don't think that's true, ask Peter. If Peter were here, he would share the horrible memory of him denying Jesus around the fire. And he would tell you it was probably the worst moment of his life because he denied having a relationship with the one who chose him and gave him life. But he would also, with a smile, tell you, let me tell you about my best story. And that was also around a fire as well. It's found in John chapter 21. It's the last chapter in John. And I want to look at that with you this morning. So open to John chapter 21, and here's what happens. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Here's what happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. All these disciples were gathered together, and Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Now, what's the big deal about this phrase, going fishing? Well, on the surface, nothing. I was talking to a guy earlier today that went fishing with his dad yesterday, caught 22 perch. I said, did you bring any for me? He said, no. So I stopped talking to him. I'm like, come on. But we all, a lot of us love to go fishing. I love to take my boys fishing. It's something fun to do. And so we think, oh, Peter just going to do something fun with his friends. But that's not what's happening here. I have a net here. This is not the net that uh, Peter would have used. But he would have had a larger net, but I think this makes the point. Peter, he goes and grabs a net, and he goes onto a boat and starts to fish. And the reason he does this, not because he's bored, not because he needs something to do, he goes back to fishing because that's what he's always known to do before Jesus. He went back to what was familiar. He went back to what was comfortable. He went back to his old life because he thought he was disqualified from his new life. And so he picks up a net and goes on the boat. He goes fishing again. My question to you is, what are you holding on to as a result of you denying Jesus? Because of the guilt, because of the shame, what is it that you're going back to in your old life? Because even though you may not want to, it's familiar and comfortable, and maybe it will give you the satisfaction you're looking for. What is the net that you're holding in your hand right now? Or or put it this way, what old habits and patterns do you go back to even though you know they move you further away from Jesus? Peter could have kept looking for Jesus and finding him and saying, I'm so sorry what I did to you, but he can't and he won't because he's so shame-filled. He just goes back to what he always knows. 
What's in your hand? What group of people do you go back to? What person do you go back to? What addiction do you find yourself holding on to because you don't feel like Jesus will forgive you now? What is that thing, your thing, that keeps you from receiving the grace of Christ? For Peter, it was a net. Here's what happens. At dawn, Jesus, he was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, hey, fellows, have you guys caught any fish? And he says, no, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Jesus performs a miracle here, which is so cool. But what if I told you it's even better than that? When Peter was holding on to a net, when he was a fisherman before Jesus came on the scene, he was fishing on a boat, and they fished all night. They didn't catch anything. Jesus, right before he calls Peter to himself, does this exact miracle. He says, put your nets in the water. And all of a sudden, all these fish come in the nets. It's weighing down the boat. And finally, Peter, he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, how about you stop fishing for fish and Come be a fisher of people with me. Try to come with me and learn from me so that you can live out your greatest purpose in life, which is to lead the church. He threw his nets down and followed Jesus. This same thing happens here. The first time, Peter doesn't know who Jesus is. But this time, when Jesus recreates the miracle, he knows exactly what is happening. And so we read this. The disciple Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's as if he's saying, remember he did this that one time? He's doing this again. It's the Lord. He's come back. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work. He just jumps in the water, and he headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and had to pull the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. How amazing is that? Peter recognizes that Jesus is there on the shore. And what does he do? He has this net, which represents his old life, what's familiar, and there's Jesus. He just throws it down. He jumps out of the boat, and he starts swimming to shore. And as he's swimming, I keep thinking, this isn't in the text, but I wonder if Peter's thinking of the words that Jesus spoke in front of him. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Peter was lost. He went back to his old life because he thought he was disqualified. He denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. He looks out after the boat. It has this tons of fish just pouring into it. He sees it's Jesus. He swims to him. What do you have in your hand? What is that old thing that you went back to? What's that familiar thing that is an addiction for you that when you're not close to Jesus, you just go back to that because that's what you've known. Jesus has come to where your boat is. He is on the shore. The question is, will you jump out and swim to him? You don't have to. But all I know is this. Though we deny Jesus, Jesus will always pursue us. Every time we deny him with our words or with our life, we don't have to be shame-filled. We don't have to feel like we've blown it to the point where we don't have a relationship anymore because Jesus is at the shore. And he wants you. 
to meet him there. And what's so incredible about this next scene is what Jesus doesn't do. Peter comes face to face with Jesus. And we read, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a what? Say it with me. Charcoal fire and some bread. When's the last time you saw a charcoal fire? Fire. John 18. What happened in John 18? Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times around the fire. When Jesus would have gone over, or when Peter would have gone over to see Jesus and he saw that charcoal fire, we know the way John's bringing up the same words again here, that he's making a point that though Peter denies Jesus around the fire, Jesus creates the fire scene again to prove that he will never stop pursuing him. And you know what Jesus doesn't do here, which is so amazing? He doesn't do what we do as parents. When our kids do something wrong, we make sure they know it. We want them to tell us what they did wrong. We want them to apologize. We want them to tell us they're going to never do it again. We're going to throw some shame in there, some guilt, to make sure they never, ever do it again. You know, parents. Jesus doesn't do that. He looks at Peter and says, let me serve you. Even though you denied me, let me cook you breakfast and serve it to you at the place where it represents where you denied me. It's so incredible. When we deny Jesus, all we have to do is look at the cross to see if he will ever pursue us. We deny him and he serves us by dying for us and giving his life for us that we can have eternal life forever. He creates the scene for us so we can see that he will always be at the shore no matter what net we have in our hand, what boat we find ourselves in, all we have to do is swim to him and he will do everything else. If you think God some egomaniac who's always angry with you, this must change the way you view God because God will not put his finger in your face and say, what did you do? He will say, come with me and let me serve you. After their breakfast, they have a conversation with each other. Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Lambs represented those newer in the faith. Maybe it was kids in the faith, literally young, or those who may have just started to follow Jesus. He says, take care of them. A second time, Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. This would have been the other half of the church. Those who maybe have been following Jesus for a while, hey, care for them, help them grow, help them become mature so they can be leaders in the church. Not once does Jesus ask the question. Not twice does Jesus ask the question. But three times. Third time, he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, okay, feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus around the fire, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus cooks Peter breakfast around that same kind of charcoal fire. 
and asked him the question, not once, not twice, but three times, undoing Peter's denial. He says, you may have denied me three times, but I am here to show you over and over and over again. I forgive you, that that does not have to define you anymore. Your past, what you've done doesn't define you. What I think about you, that defines you. And if you remember before you denied me, I have a purpose for you. I asked you to be the rock in which I build my church on. Those young in the faith, those older in the faith, I want you to care for them. So not only does Jesus forgive him and undoes the denial, he restores him. The gifts and abilities Peter had before he did this are the same afterwards, and Jesus wants to remind him of that. You may deny me, but I will always pursue you. If you come back to me, you can know your purpose in life is to love me and love people, and I want you to do that. So, what does this mean for you and me? Even though I've repeated it a lot, I'll say it again. Though we deny Jesus, Jesus, he will pursue us. And I can promise you that you have one of these in your life or multiple that you go to when you aren't close to the Lord, when you haven't been in the scriptures, when he isn't the center of your life. And you go to this because you feel guilty, you feel shame-filled, you've denied him by the way you've treated people in your life or represented him, and you just go back to this because this is what you've known in your boat right now, if you just look about 100 yards to the south, you will see a man standing there waiting for you to get out of the boat. All you have to do is just put it down because you know this doesn't give you what you want from it anyways. You just put it down, you get out, and you swim to Jesus and let him cook you breakfast. Let him serve you. Let him speak the words of forgiveness and restoration over you. For he loves you more than you can ever imagine. The second thing is about Jesus' forgiveness. It wasn't just that he said, okay, I forgive you and move on. He links restoration with that. Meaning, I want you to use the gifts and abilities God gave you to lead the church. And that's what we want from people here at the chapel as well. If you've been around the chapel for a long time, you've probably seen something that looks like this. And we, we talk about serving and you may think, well, yeah, they have holes to fill, which is true. We do. But the reason we have holes is because not everyone has started serving yet. And what disappoints me about that is not because of time. I understand all of that. Trust me. I'm not judging any of you. What hurts is that you have been restored and God's grace wants to come through you with your gifts. And you have so much to give to the people of this church so we can be the best church, not in the community, but for the community. And a lot of times we just kind of sit by the fire thinking, well, I just did this. No, you've been restored for a purpose. You have gifts and abilities for a purpose. Use those so the lambs and the sheep can be fed and led by you. So if you've never... Served on a team, there's so many opportunities. We want you to do that, not just to busy your life somewhere. No, so you can realize what you're called to do and serve just like Peter was asked to do so as well. I asked our team, what's one of our biggest needs right now, just so I can tell you, and to no surprise, they're chapel kids. We have three services every weekend for our kids, early childhood and kindergarten through fifth grade, and 
We have so many young babies and kids coming to the church, they don't have enough people to hold them and help them during the service. A great problem to have, but it is a problem. In kindergarten through fifth right now, if your son or daughter or grandchild's in a small group, they're probably with 15 or 20 other kids, whereas we want those groups to be about eight people. But we have so many kids coming, and we don't have enough volunteers that it's chaos. These are the lambs. These are the ones that Jesus says, care for them. They're the next generation of our church. And so if God leads you to serve, whether it's every week, once a month, whatever, we need help there. And you are equipped to do so because Jesus has come to where you're at to restore you so that people, especially our kids, can see the love and grace of Christ coming through you. We're going to end our service by singing one of, uh, I know, Paul and I's favorite songs. It's one of our favorite family worship songs. And it just, again, reinforces this idea that though you deny Jesus, he will always pursue you. Let's stand together and sing.